The scripture lesson today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. I never met Grandpa Fisher, but I feel like I know him. My husband's face softens as he talks about his maternal grandfather. Grandpa Fisher was a tiny man with a big heart and a very active mind. He invented some sort of farming impl implement in South Dakota. Grandpa Fisher built and drove a homemade electric scooter well into his 90s. But this year, I learned something new about Grandpa Fisher. Dave and I were discussing what we wanted to contribute to the Next 100 Gifts campaign. I threw out a number, and he threw out a number, and I said to Dave, well, do you think we can afford a gift of that size? After all, don't you think you should be retiring soon? I said to him. And you know what Dave said? He said, I want to be like Grandpa Fisher. And then he told me about the day that he was on the combine out on the farm with Grandpa Fisher. He said, we, we finished the work, and then we got into the pickup, and we were driving back to the house for dinner. And I asked him, Grandpa, why are you still working? I mean, at your age, shouldn't you be retired? Why do you still work? And Grandpa Fisher beamed. He said, well, David, I'm still working because it enables me to give more money to the church. You see, Grandpa Fisher loved the church. And so in his golden years, he found meaning and purpose in contributing to the small town church that he had helped to found. He wanted to see it keep thriving. Now, I gotta be honest with you. I, I don't know how men like Grandpa Fisher get made. Such pure generosity. I do believe that deep within every single human being is that same longing that we saw in him 
the longing to give. But for so many of us, that longing doesn't seem to rise to the surface and get expressed very easily. But the Apostle Paul, in the letter to the Corinthians, makes an attempt to shape the men and women of the church to become the kind of folks who give, not out of duty or compulsion, but cheerfully. Paul spills ink across several pages or scrolls on the topic of the church offering. You see, Paul's out traveling from church to church, and he gathers from among some churches an offering that can be used to further the larger mission of the church. You might think of Paul as the ancient united way. Together, he says, we can pool our resources from various corners of Christ church so that some larger vision, some grand vision of unity and hope and grace can somehow take up residence, not just within the church, but within the culture. But Paul does not fancy himself as a fundraiser. That bottom line, it's not Paul's end game. Rather than talking to the early Christians about what their money would do should they decide to be generous, I mean, like, Paul could have said things like, well, you know, we could get new microphones, and we could replace the air conditioner with a more energy-efficient model, and we could make room for more children in the Sunday school. No, no, no. Paul never says that. Paul addresses the deeper why of giving. It's more than feeding the hungry, though we surely want to do that. For Paul, generous giving is more about theology than practicality. It's more about faith than simply doing the right thing. For Paul, our human generosity is evoked somehow, ultimately, by God's generosity. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates part of this passage that we read moments ago in his version of this text called The Message. He says, remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. Do you hear it? Paul wants us to give, but more than that, Paul wants us to delight. And delight, delight cannot be forced. My earliest memory of church is the plastic rocking horse on the metal springs in the nursery of Polytechnic United Methodist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, someone either donated that cool plastic rocking horse or they took the money out of the offering plate one Sunday at church and went and bought it. To me, it was something to look forward to while mom and dad went to the church meetings. My second memory of church is of wrapping paper. My mom and dad were members of a young couples class, and the class had an annual fundraiser to sell wrapping paper. 
they would buy these massive bolts of shiny wrapping paper and then they would gather in the long wide corridors of the church and unroll these big reams and then roll them back onto smaller cord cardboard tubes and sell them as a fundraiser for their class. I spent many hours as a small child playing in the halls and watching this work of rolling wrapping paper. That same Sunday school class gifted me my very first Bible. When I was born, they gave me a little white Bible with my name engraved in gold on the front. Every time I look at this Bible, I think of the people who loved me before I could speak or crawl, people in that church. When I was in the fifth grade, we moved to a new house and I went to a new school. And the girl in the desk next to me was named Dana. And she invited me to go with her to her church for a party one day after school. And who would turn down an invitation like that? So I went. That invitation to come play at the church completely changed my life. It was at that church that I first began to toy with the idea of becoming a minister. It was there that I was supported throughout my seminary days, and it was there that I was ordained as a pastor. Now, I know this doesn't sound like much. A rocking horse, wrapping paper, a simple invite to go to a church party, but here is where I learned to delight in God's holy presence in real life. Words feel inadequate to capture the feelings beyond those experiences. Sometimes generosity just seems like a mystery. No logical explanation for it. Dave and I have five grandchildren and we're always giving them stuff, although you know they need nothing. But when you love someone, you just can't help yourself from giving to them. You give not because they need, but because you need. Aw, oh, thanks. You shouldn't have. Oh, oh, you say, but I wanted to. Mary Goodman was born a slave in the early 1800s. She worked as a laundress in New Haven. There in New Haven, Connecticut, she died in 1872. And when she died, she didn't leave behind enough money for her own funeral or for a burial plot. But she did bequeath her entire estate, a little over $5,000, to Yale Divinity School to educate black students for ministry. And in the 1870s, there were no black students being educated at Yale. But through Mary's generosity, two black men entered Yale Divinity School in the 1870s and graduated and began serving churches. Today, Mary's gift has grown to $190,000 and it still educates black students. A few years ago, a black cop in New Haven, a man who had grown up poor in Harlem, got kind of a, an urge to study for the ministry and he became a Mary Goodman scholarship recipient. Because of her gift, said the cop, I can now extend her gift further by helping and loving people the way Mary did. 
Paul sums up his exhortation about the offering by saying, Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. What is that indescribable gift? Over the past couple of years, I had the opportunity to sit down and meet with families in our church to talk both about the history of the church for its first 100 years and also to dream about the next 100. What I heard over and over and over again was how the church has been an indescribable gift in people's lives. One guy told me, I, I know I don't come much anymore, in fact, rarely, but this church, <laughs> this will always be my church. Another reminisced about his days as a Boy Scout in the church and how that experience of scouting here shaped his character. Another described walking to church with his grandparents. One couple told me this church, it saved our son's life. And more than one couple said to me, you know we met at the church in the singles group. And several couples told me that it was really through relationships in the church that it came to be that they adopted a child indescribable gifts what are the indescribable gifts that you have experienced in your own life the gift of a child the gift of a friend the gift of a faith community the gift of health of the earth of some artistic ability the gift of education of freedom the gift of second chances what gift has been so lavish that you cannot begin to put words to it? The novel, The Murmur of Bees, describes a, a rather mystical friendship between two boys growing up in rural Mexico during the 1918 flu epidemic. Simon was born with a cleft palate that was not repaired and was left in the streets as an orphan. But a wealthy family takes the fragile Simon into their home and adopts him as their godson. Now, they cannot understand anything that Simon says. But when they have their own son, just a couple of years later, Francisco grows up understanding the language spoken by Simon because Francisco doesn't know that Simon speaks differently. So they understand one another. And the two boys grow up together, doing everything together. They're, they're friends, but they're really more like brothers. The elder Simon with the cleft palate is always protectively watching over the younger Francisco, keeping him from danger and harm. And when Francisco, as a toddler, begins to have nightmares, Simon will slip into his room and sing songs, lullabies, to comfort him. When the two boys are teenagers and almost adults, a tragic event threatens Francisco's life. Simon rescues him from the desert and scoops him up and carries him home in his arms. And for weeks, Francisco languishes in bed, drifting in and out of consciousness. At night, he screams in pain and fear and the elder Simon will sneak into the room and begin 
singing melodies and lullabies to soothe Francisco, just as he did when Francisco was a toddler. Francisco's mother enters the room and watches this mysterious act between her son and her godson. She cannot understand Simon's garbled words, but she recognizes the melodies, and she observes how the tunes envelop her wounded son and lavish upon him a healing grace. She watches with awe and wonder like some kind of holy mystery is unfolding. And she realizes that while life has no guarantees, sometimes it offers gifts. Her broken heart begins to heal as her son also begins to recover. How do we begin to thank God for the indescribable gift of life? Paul proclaims to the Corinthians and to us that Jesus Christ is the indescribable gift. The surpassing grace of God was given to every one of us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth as one of us, loved us even when it cost him his life, forgave us, even when we did not deserve forgiveness, lavished upon us grace upon grace. The generosity of Jesus, who poured out his life that we might know life, well, that leaves us speechless. The gift of God, it is still ours today. The hope and the peace and the joy and the wonder of love Revealed in the face of Jesus, it is the gift to us. Every day of our lives, God extravagantly loves us. Even when we are far away from God, the Spirit of the living Christ finds us and scoops us up and carries us home. God has offered to us an indescribable gift. How will we ever say thank you?